0: This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Fire for them, fire for them. If you're looking for that 35-bag umbrella and all that thing there, Keep it locked with this Economics podcast. podcast. Are it we are. Hello and welcome back, episode seventy-five of this Economics podcast. This is going to be like the second part of a mini series of I don't know how many episodes. We'll um, <laughs> work out as, as we go along. In introducing the listeners to investment, we're trying to learn trying to learn together. Today, I'm joined by a special guest, Patrice. How are you this morning? Yeah, amazing, amazing. Thanks for inviting me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you, thank you for taking time out on, on your Saturday to come come have a chat with with me. Um, first of all, we, we you want I know you need to get out a, a quick compliance warning, so let's get out of the way sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a boring one, but yeah, essentially. You can kind of Google me and find out where I work, et cetera. Um, everything I'm saying is kind of educational and informational. Um, it's my opinions and not the opinions of my firm. Um, uh, nothing should be constituted as formal advice. Apologies for the formal language, but I have to say it.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. The, the listeners will understand. The listeners will understand. <laughs> so, um, Patrice, so tell us, um, by the way, I always like to give people opportunity to say as much or as little about them as possible. So don't, don't feel obliged, like, right? you have to tell us your life story, but, or you, you can say as much or little as you want. But, um, so what is your background? What did you, did you go to university? And if you did, what, what did you study?
1: Yeah. So I, I studied, um, uh, sort of economics, but not in, not, I, I, I wasn't actually that into it actually, to be honest. And I didn't really get that into it until I, I started work. So after, after university, um, I did uh, the CFA qualification, so Chartered Financial Analyst, um, and right I started in. doing sort of fu- and, I, and yeah, my, and I sort of started specialising in fund analysis. So not individual equities um, or shares, that's that's funds. Um, so yeah, that's what my kind of knowledge base is, um, and I'm uh, that, that's what I do for a living.
0: Sorry, you finished us, I was drinking water. You caught. Oh God. No. Okay. Cool. So. <laughs> So we know that is your background. So how, lo- how long have you been oh, yeah. um, how long have you been doing that for now? How many years? Roughly seven years nearly. So I, I find it yeah. quite interesting you so said that you didn't even like it until you started working in it. But what made you pursue that um, line of work?
1: Yeah, so the, in terms of... I've always been absolutely fascinated by investment. It's always been my passion. So when I was uh, at school and when I was really young, I was like reading... Warren Buffett books um I was reading about uh famous investors like Benjamin Graham from like the 1920s um I've kind of got maybe a slightly unusual geeky love for investing um and the sort of technicalities behind it um so yeah that I was always my dream career has always been something to do with that and I love um and and the day-to-day of that I, I don't see I even don't really see it as work so when I'm at at work and when I'm at home I'm always kind of um, thinking about investing, reading things, uh writing things, analyzing things, so yeah, that's what, and yeah, I think that bit of it it encompasses a lot of economics, but there's so much more stuff other than economics involved um psychologies are
0: probably just as big yeah, one hundred percent one hundred percent okay cool, so let's get into the actual bonus of the podcast, so. Those who listened to last week, I introduced why you should probably invest, the difference between men and women invested, and millennials and the general population investing, and and some of the things you can invest in. So each week, I want to try to take one or two um, things that you can actually invest in and give you the the background information to what these financial securities are, how you can get involved with them, the advantages and disadvantages, how much you need, etc., so with, with Patrice, we're going to talk about mutual funds and then a little bit about stocks and shares, ISA, but mainly mutual funds. So what is a mutual fund? It's essentially you collect capital from many individual investors. So let's say there's me, Patrice, and 10 of our friends and family. We, put, we have, let's say, £100 each. It's collated and in, into one set portfolio, and then that's essentially it. So what, what actually, I should note since we've got somebody that actually works in the industry, but she's, you give us a better definition of mutual funds.
1: Okay, cool. Um, there are essentially two different ways that you can invest as an individual. Yep. Um, you can choose to buy individual shares or um, you, you can buy your Facebook shares, your Netflix shares, whatever you want. Um, and buy them individually in the amounts that you choose. Or the second way that you could choose to invest is through uh, a basket of different shares. And that's really what a a, a kind of a a fund is. The mutual fund, the word mutual is kind of more of an American thing, but funds can be, funds literally just mean a basket of shares. Um,
0: And that's all that means. Um, they're, like, they're almost like a it's almost like a supermarket for shares, essentially.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the, the way to really think about it would be rather than picking the individual shares yourself, you are letting someone else pick it for for you. Um and that can be something as simple as rather than buying three banks that are in the FTSE 100, you buy the entire FTSE 100. Yeah. So you have every single stock in the FTSE 100 um, in the proportions that it exists in the in the FTSE 100. That's a good. One. That's the most sort of basic example I can give of it. Yeah. So, just from a rather than buying individual names, you're buying the entire market. And there's various different ways of doing that, and sometimes you're not buying the entire market, you're buying a bit of it, and lots and lots of ways in between. But that's probably the conceptually the most simple way I can explain
0: it. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's so. We've got all types of mutual funds, which we'll probably get onto in a second. But um, I want to talk about fees first of all because you know sometimes when people advertise stuff to you and then they talk about the money later, I want to talk about the numbers straight away. <laughs> so as our. Yeah. Listeners are listening to us talk about stuff. The cost and the pricing and how things are priced is raising their head. So fees tend to come in two formats. So you get an uh, annual operation, operating fee, which is kind of like an annual percentage charge on a fund, which tends to be yeah. usually between 1% and 3% across the industry. And then there's also share shareholders fees. So that's like commissions or redemptions. These are like paid when you're purchasing... And selling funds essentially. So those are the two main types of fees. So let's say you hold, I don't know, ten thousand. You've got ten thousand pounds in in I don't know Patrice's fund. Patrice is managing the fund for you, so you will pay one to three percent on that one thousand one thousand pounds as an like as the kind of annual fee. Do you really like to add yeah. anything? Um, yeah, a
1: Good way to good way to think about it. Um, if you just buy an individual share, mm-hmm. um, the only fee that you will pay anybody is the transaction costs involved in buying that particular share. So legal costs, things like a transaction charge and um, stamp duty, potentially. Um, you, if you see what I mean, it's a it's a relatively small amount of charges that you will pay to buy an individual share. Um, that if you're buying a fund or a basket of shares, you will generally pay potentially a fee for going in, which can be, and yeah, you just need to look online to, to see that, but that can potentially be quite high. Um, you pay an annual management fee for the management of that fund, yep. which again, look carefully because that can be potentially quite high um and the annual management fee doesn't necessarily tell you the entire story because there's various bits of legislation that allow certain managers to disclose some of their costs but perhaps not all their costs yep. so you can also get fees on top of that so that's something to be aware of when you buy funds because it can pretend the fees eventually can all add up. Um, and a general rule of thumb is that the simpler and less involved the particular fund is, the cheaper it's going to be. So if you literally just want to buy, in my example at the beginning, the FTSE 100 or the Dow Jones and have... All of those shares in the proportions that they exist the cost of doing that is very very low yep if however you want um, and a, a good example say say Warren Buffett launched a new fund um, he's not gonna be doing that for free so you're gonna and, <laughs> and you and you want his decisions um, on a day-to-day basis um, and you're, you're gonna be paying Potentially entry fees for that, um, and you're going to be paying annual management fees for that too. So, two example two. So the, the, there's obviously a
0: balance between the two. Okay, thank you. So just so as you're listening to us talk about different types of funds, we're gonna we will talk about the fees as we go along, but it's just important to have that in mind. So the third part of what we'd like to discuss is I, the, actually actually um, I'll say one more thing on that because it's really
1: important. Um, one of the big things with if you look at any of the data on the market and and outperforming the market, it's really really hard to outperform. Yeah, particularly in in developed markets. So if you look consistently, at the consistently
0: it, as well, maybe um, they, uh, a fund can outperform the market one year, but consistently outperform the market is very very hard to find. It,
1: exactly, exactly. So if you look at the, they've done loads and loads of studies, and 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 maybe I'll find a way to like link to it. Um, so you can put it in your show notes, but there's loads and loads of, um, studies on what really links to outperformance. Um, mm. so one, it's just really hard to do and very few managers actually do it, but two, really that what they did find was that cost was the biggest indica- indicator of whether you're going to outperform or not. So, um, if you can find a manager that's cheap, um, and good, you're kind of laughing because that, that's basically what the studies all showed okay
0: so there you have it so that's something that the listeners then we need to look obviously you can always ask me questions and Patrice, do you want them to would would you be willing to be a point of contact
1: i'd be i'd be willing to help anyone with kind of the informational type stuff yeah because yeah. I, I appreciate
0: the, the the definitions and stuff are, are, are can be confusing. okay don't worry i will i will try to stop each each of us if we're saying stuff that needs to be defined okay cool let's talk about okay so we will talk about funds Obviously, there's a gazillion of them, and they come in different different shapes and different sizes. So, for the listeners, I think it's best so we can kind of go through a few funds. I picked out a few of them, which might interest might put the interest of different types of people. So, the first one is probably the cheapest fund you can get. Uh, it's called a money market fund. So, you know, Patrice, how, Shall I, how should I I go for this? Yeah, yeah.
1: Let me let me think of a way of um explaining this. Um, I think there's think of the despite what you read in like newspapers and online there aren't really that many assets that people buy and put in funds and have done for a long period of time that you want to invest in so think of them i would shares are one and the most common so most funds are related to shares yep um Bonds are another. Um, so, bond, bond, just for anyone who's unfamiliar, that is um, essentially debt. That's a, a loan to a government or or a company in respect for a period of time, um, which with a, a payment attached to that over a period of time. Yeah. So, that's generally seen as a risky, a less risky investment than a share, because when a company goes bankrupt. Um, bondholders generally get paid out before shareholders that's the that's the kind of logic behind that um and then i suppose you have things like commodities gold oil things like that um and property now i would say that in terms of assets that people buy those are the main ones that is what really funds are investing in on the whole um now i'll probably try and keep it to just stocks because that's what most people invest in funds to invest in. But I'll uh, just be aware there are other things that people people do look at. Um, so with there really is just two different types of fund. One is a passive fund and one is an active fund. Mm. And the, the clue's in the name. So a passive fund just tracks the performance of a particular market. Like in my first example, FTSE 100, Dow Jones, um, US technology, uh, you name it, there is a, um, a passive fund that will track that. Um, generally speaking, if you've heard the word ETF, it's referring to something doing that. So exchange traded fund. Yes. Um, that's the, the first type of fund. Um, and that's probably the type of fund that is growing the most in terms of the past nine years. That that te- What tends to be launching are passive funds because people want to invest in ever more interesting areas of the market. Like, what are all the companies doing blockchain? Let's track them all passively. Um, so passive, first type of fund. Second type of fund would be active and again clues in the name all that means is it's ran by an individual who is trying to outperform a particular market often called benchmark so um think of uh, a famous investor like in the uk neil woodford he he, he is a famous uk um equity manager and, and and his target is traditionally to outperform the FTSE
0: all share. That's a, a,
1: a, a that's as good a way to describe it as I can think.
0: Yeah, that's 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 really the main that's really the main thing. And obviously, when something to for the listeners to note, that also the difference in asset asset sorry <laughs> difference between asset class <laughs> no 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 asset class active and passive funds is yeah. mainly just on in terms of price when the fund is more active and that's when the fund manager is actively purchasing new securities, that comes with, yeah. that comes with extra costs. Whereas, exactly. with, whereas passive is exactly. just tracking like an index, let's say it's the S&P 500 or the FTSE, as you mentioned, there's less cost attached to that. So that might be something that's quite more of an entry level for maybe people like me, people like my listeners who don't want don't to have a lot of costs also want to be able to get some decent returns and looking at um, the the market in the last like 10 years as you said i've read so many articles on how not that many active funds are actually outperforming the market over a period of time and they are kind of like losing market share to passive funds especially robo funds a lot of um, robo investment type companies are popping up everywhere which is um something that I will talk about at a later time. But yeah, it's it's true. In terms of actual fund differences, you can invest in funds that are more predicated around bonds, as um, Patrice talked about earlier, which are loans made to like corporations or governments. These type of funds are likely to get you higher returns than, like a savings account, for example, like your ISA, simply because you're. Uh, a a bond is very unlikely well it depends on what bond you buy to default and you yeah, so gone that's that's a good one yeah' good, sorry to interrupt that's a good
1: way to describe it i think in terms of think of it like a risk scale, so yeah. think of your lowest risk thing that you can do with your money apart from put it under under the mattress is to um to depending depend- on, depend-
0: mat- on where you live you might not want to put money on your mattress yeah <laughs> exactly
1: maybe that could be that could be dangerous depending on where you are but <laughs> Um, generally lowest is cash. Um, if you want to take a little bit more risk with your money, you buy a bond. Um, because if you lend money to a government, generally speaking, the government, one pays you back, um, and two doesn't go bankrupt. Um, and if the government does have problems, depending on how, um, credit-worthy that government is, um, they can just print more money. So it's generally seen as if you lend, if you, in, in the US it's called a, a treasury and in the UK it's called a guilt. Um, so if you, they're generally seen as pretty safe investments. Um, the next notch on the scale would be a loan you can make to a, a company. Um, and, Companies do can and do go, um, under, um, and companies do sometimes have financial difficulties. So they might not, one, they might not pay you back. And two, they might not pay you what they promised over the period of your loan in terms of interest. Um, coupon is actually the technical term for it. Um, and then the step above a loan to a corporation is you're buying a share. So you buy a share in that company's profits. Um, and um, that inherently is riskier because you are pretty much at the bottom of the pile when uh, a company goes under. So, you, And you can see that if you just need to Google a, a recent examples of companies going under uh, and shareholders kind of losing everything. So yep. the, you, get great, you get great rewards um, investing in shares, but you get that because um, of the risk that you're taking.
0: Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned that. Even even mentioned the word um, guilt because there was a study I looked at um, briefly. Um, it was at like the Barclays guilt, February 2016. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it showed like over a period of time, cash, I think it's over 50 years, cash, if you had cash, you would have made 1.9% um, in terms of gains. And if you invested in in British stocks, you would have made 5.4%. So obviously you've got the volatility, but over a period of time, you're likely to get more bargain for your buck. Bar- of course, there's the risk, well, without risk, it's not rewards. So, yeah. yeah com- are you, you're, you're completely right about that.
1: Um, and the, the, the key word, and I think you, you've probably touched on this in previous podcasts, the key bit is time horizon. When, when do you need to access your money? Because um, that really dictates what you should do with it. If you need to access money in um, a year or less than three years, and that's what that money is for... You really shouldn't be going near um risky investments of Yeah, of any course kind. yeah because actually and and this is all statistical because if you look at the performance of the market over one year three year five year ten year fifteen year twenty year a hundred years the the longer your time horizon if it the, the the data on it this is quite an interesting one, so I was looking at a hundred years of um the the Uh, S&P, S&P over 100 years. So what what has happened to that? And basically, if you look at the stats on it, on any given day, you have uh, something like a 51% chance of having a positive return. On any given month, it's 55% chance of a positive return. On any six months, it becomes a um, 61% chance. On any year, it becomes a 65% chance on any... And then it just goes up and up and up and up. But then when you get to like 10 years, your chance of a positive return in the S&P becomes 90%. Jesus.
0: By the way, S&P is um, listed in the United States.
1: Yeah, the 500 biggest companies in the US, weighted by market cap. How big they are, yeah. So... Yeah, so th- that just tells you everything. But what you are seeing is that um, that time horizon is really, really important because if you get that wrong, that's when people really lose kind of money. Um, th- and you and you and you
0: see that. So that's something to look. So um, I always want to um, educate um, my listeners, and I, I'm also I'm always learning. By the way, so I don't th- don't think I'm talking to you lot like I'm. So no, or because I definitely don't. But it's very important that we have investments along with our savings going into our elderly age. Because I was when I saw 96% of millennials don't even have an investment portfolio, I was like, damn, that's terrible. Because we're going to be the people who in our 40s and 50s have money and we need to know what we're do, what we doing with it We want to be building up your money. You're making your money work for you as you're working. We can't just be out here living in a Vida Loca, going to Miami, buying bottles. <laughs> you know what I mean? Having a blast, buying, buying Playstations and all that type of stuff. We've still got to be a bit sensible with our money, so not just saving, but also investing. And when you look at stocks and shares over a period of time, you can make money. I know it may seem a bit scary. When I was reading, I've seen, or I've, I've noticed that a lot of surveys have shown that young people and women more than men are a bit worried. Yeah, I understand the risk, but it's also doing your research, and then you can see that some investments actually might not be that risky for you, and you might be able to put in some money that isn't that bad. There's some which we're going to talk about later. Um, some funds you could put you put in something like a hundred pound a month. For some of you that might be a bit much. For some people that might be alright. Think about it, that's probably a night out or two, really and truly. And for you, for you, ladies and guys, that's probably a date night. So s- skip a skip a date night a month, and you might be you might be making some you might be making some p in a few years time. So that's just a little disclaimer to people. Um, I've I've mentioned we talked about index type funds. We talk about bonds. There's also oh, there's also balanced funds. So those people who don't, who like a, a little bit of risk and a little bit, I can't speak. Sorry, guys. I went out yesterday, so I'm really really (laughs) let me um,
1: let me let me cover this bit actually because I've I've done a bit of work on these. Yeah, yeah. You do. Um, You
0: do this. You pilot for me. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, so you also get. I, I mentioned you can get you can track anything pretty much. Yeah. Um. So um, two of the most um. Liquid things that you can track are the 500 biggest companies in the US and the treasury bond market in the US. Because obviously the the US government is huge and it creates a lot of debt. So you can they're the two easiest things in the world to invest in. So there are a lot of balanced products out there that are doing something like um, 80% into the S&P and then the remainder into treasury bonds mm. and that split is the the good thing about this is the split is really um simple and is proven to kind of give you something over time if you look at history so it can be 80 20 it can be 60 40 it can be 40 60 and basically that's all depending on how much risk you want to take so if you want I mentioned the risk of the market is it's inherently more volatile. And we, we discussed that um, and potentially it it can be, you you can have periods of like severe losses. So um, bonds are a really good way to, to add a bit of more defensiveness in your portfolio. Yes. What historically has happened anytime the market has crashed. So if you look at, um, 2008 is a good example. The, the U S treasury bond market was up. So what people tend to do when they're panicking is they rush out of risky investments and go into the safest thing they can find. Um, and, a, a, a loan to the government is seen as one of the safest things that you can, you can do so they they, they work in opposite directions. So from a diversification perspective, they're very good things to own together um, because they give you a bit of protection for the risk that you're taking elsewhere.
0: Okay, yeah, that's true. So that's a, a bit more information on the, the balance. I, I couldn't have said that. I can't lie. I'm way too tired. <laughs> but, um...
1: <laughs> no, and actually, like, if you just go online and Google, um, you even could just Google the percentages. Just Google, like, balanced 80-20, balanced 60-40, you'll find lots of options and they're very, very cheap and you can kind of see them. So they're, they're, they, there's a massive market of cheap ways to get you a return that is um, commensurate with your
0: kind of investment needs and time horizon. Okay, cool. Um, so well, the final type of fund we'll talk about, and um, we've spoken about this um, offline, and like speciality type funds. So these are funds that- yeah. Are concentrated on a certain segment of the economy or targeted yeah. type strategy. For example, like socially responsible funds, which we spoke about, um, also known yeah. as ethical funds, where you can like, Yeah, invest- that's what I do for a living. So yeah, a fact, yeah this is this is this is your time to shine. <laughs> no I will
1: not I w I won't I won't plug what I do, but mm. um but I would say that there's just basically there is a very, very um lot, there's a lot of specialist types of areas of the market that people want to have targeted exposure to, because let's face it, that kind of makes sense in this economy. Um, like the economy is really been driven over the past 10 years. And actually if you look historically, you can make that argument too by technology. So a lot of people really want to make sure that they own, um, a lot of technology in their portfolio. Um, other kind of themes that people really want to invest in for the long term and want a lot more exposure to are areas like healthcare. So um, there are a lot of funds out there that, that kind of make sure that you have targeted exposure to those areas. So, um, the, and again, you can do that quite effectively and cheaply via an index. Um, so, A good example would be something like the NASDAQ. So the NASDAQ, um, there are various kinds of forms of this, but it's got a very, very heavy overweight to us technology. So if you look, you look at your, the, and these definitions change quite a lot, but there are a lot of indexes out there that will give you your exposure to your Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, Microsoft, um, there's lots of indexes doing that. There's also newer indexes looking at other technological areas like artificial intelligence and robotics and these kind of areas, which they're really kind of interesting that they're, they're kind of changing the world. And, um, and again, you can access them um, via uh, an index. So there's lots and lots of ways. So I think it's always a good thing for people when they're investing um, to look at the world as they see it and, and, and think about how it's changing and how they can, um, and, and what they really want to invest in. And I think a lot of people find that technology is an interesting area to
0: invest in. Yeah, definitely. Um, we've seen Amazon hit the trillion market cap um, shortly after what's it, um, Apple not too long ago. And yeah. when I was looking at the top 10 companies, I was in maybe three or four podcasts ago, I think like seven of them were tech companies. You had Facebook, yeah, Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, loads of tech companies. Yeah, and
1: it's even it's mad, and like you can look at it from a global perspective too, because you've got like Alibaba and Friday Yes, and yes. Tencent, like in China. So it's it's mad. So tech is a huge part of the the global um, landscape, and these companies are really really enormous. Um, so so yeah, they people people want to invest more and more in the in the in this area. Um, but what's kind of interesting, if you look at the 10 biggest companies, uh, 10 years ago, there were less tech companies and 20 years ago, less tech companies. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, that is probably telling you something about technology and how big it is now, but it's also telling you something about the market and how it can be kind of risky because, um, the biggest company, um, in any given one given year, 10 years ago can be kind of gone. So. If you look at companies like that were enormous, like kodak and, mm. and like even i b m that like, used to be in a, a a big player and now isn't so it can things can change really really quickly, which is why investing in a lot of companies rather than putting all your
0: eggs in one basket is normally a good thing yeah definitely um it, it's good that you said um to mention about look at the world as you try to think about the world and how you view it because you might be able to find the funds kind of targeted. At things that you're interested in, maybe tech, yeah. maybe socially ethical companies, maybe banks, maybe media, whatever it may be, sport, whatever it may be. Just, I can't remember. It might have been Terry Venables or somebody. I can't remember. They launched like a football related type fund. I think three, three years ago. I probably should research that for the podcast. But I'm gonna. Well, no.
1: On your point, that this is good. You're a football guy. You get. You understand this. But if you look at the past, August is a really good example. So. If you look at the performance of the share prices of Manchester United, which is up about, in August, 27%. Mm. If you look at Celtic, is up about 21%. And Juventus is up 40%. Um, and then, related to the sports theme, like WWE, World Wrestling Entertainment, that's up a, quite a lot as well in August. So, the what people it's kind of linked to the Netflix thing indirectly. Like people, if you can have something that people really want to watch or like can buy into and watch and you can prove that you're doing that people want to buy those shares. So it's quite interesting because 10, 15 years ago, no one would ever invest wanted to invest in football shares because it was just not seen as interesting. But now you're seeing it as a potentially
0: quite interesting area of the market. Exactly. So that's something to look out for. So work out, you probably don't need to work out what your interest is, but see if your interest, there's a fund related to your interest, because most likely there actually is. Um, Okay, cool. Let's talk about the advantages and disadvantages of funds. So let's start with the the bad first. So what are the downsides of investing in funds?
1: Okay, so the downside, and I'll be really honest, is a performance thing. So um, if you invest in an index all you're ever going to get is how the index did good or bad and less the fees that you've paid so you're always going to underperform and that underperformance is not um very much in some cases because if you're if you're buying something very very cheap but just be aware of that um uh, linked to the same point i'm not trying to be negative but given that most fund managers underperform and charge higher fees that can also be a a kind of risk um but i think both of those things in terms of a disadvantage and they are there in terms of cost and performance um uh, it it normally is still better than cash
0: yeah well speaking of cash another disadvantage i wanted to uh, have the listeners aware of that obviously let's say you put money into the platform that you're using to like get involved with funds purchase funds the cash that you have sitting there isn't doing anything for you. So whereas if you had like cash left over, I don't know, in like a savings account, you might get 2% if you're lucky or something or one point, whatever. Yep. Whereas cash in, in some of funds might not even get you a quarter of a percentage. So that's something yep. to look out for as well. And also in terms of performance as beginner and I'm a beginner as well, it's quite hard to work out which funds you should go for because you, how do you really compare the performance? You're looking at sales growth. Do they are they going to give you the earnings per share? Are they give you the price um, yeah, per yeah, earnings ra- ratio What all this type of stuff? Which if you I'll I'll, I'll probably write about in more detail. So don't don't I'll, don't worry. do you know, Patrice. You could explain some of that stuff.
1: Yeah, no, I'll I'll try and. Ex- I think looking at traditional measures of a share, like I don't know, sales growth, or or you you could go. You that the beauty of the world now is that people are providing so much information that you can find out most of that data. So you know what a particular fund offers you in terms of those regards. Um, But I think the more information you have potentially as a a personal investor not doing it day to day, um, that's potentially a disadvantage and it can distract you. I think the key thing to look at is just long-term performance and look at that and see how long it's been going for. So stuff like, which is why I really like indexes. I'm a massive fan of investing in, um, the things like the S and P 500, because you know what that has delivered over every time horizon going. So it's not going to tell you what it's going to do over the next one year, two year, three year, but, um, it's, it's as good a guide as you've got. Whereas if you're buying a fund manager, trying to do something, it's a human judgment and it's really hard to, to make that. So, the, the, the key to look at is performance and long-term performance. Performance over one year doesn't tell you what it's going to do over the next year. Performance over three years doesn't tell you what it's going to do over the next three years. Three years is a statistically really poor period to actually measure. But if you start looking at five, seven, ten years, it's a little bit more predictive. So if you can look, start looking at longer time horizons and performance, that gets you a long, long, long way.
0: Okay. Something to look out for okay okay let's talk about some of the pros uh some yeah. of the pros um economies of scale is because yeah. like it saves investors so people like me for example let me give you an example of us of, of a stock price we've mentioned warren buffett in this podcast he's firm, berkshire halfway to get to have one of their stocks is like three hundred thousand dollars yeah so <laughs> unless you are unless you're the daughter of, I don't know, David Beckham, I'm not too sure if you've got that type of money to be buying individual full shares, unless you want to buy the B-class, which is a story for another day. But economies of scale is very key here for funds because it gives people like us the opportunity to get into these stocks, get some of these returns at a lower scale. For example, if you want to, if you want to invest £100 a month, right, that's one night share. Night share is like, what, 80 $80? That's one night share. Whereas you can get little, little bits of bits of shares from different companies, and you can still get those returns and scale them up. So that's one advantage I would like to mention as well. And also the fact that you get access to people like Patrice who professionally manage your funds for a cheaper fee. Whereas usually, invest um, fund managers um, fund funds tend to have clients that are either institutions. Or high net worth in individuals. Like, I've sometimes I've like, oh, let me go check out this asset manager. I wonder how much it is just for intrigue to be able to invest. They're like, yeah, you need to be of a net worth of at least £250,000 <laughs> and stuff like that. Do you know what I'm saying? So it kind of gives you that ability to enter the investment market in this type of essence without having the crazy money that some institutional and high net worth individuals have.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that's, that, that's a really good summary of the. Uh, advantages. Yeah, you're you're paying for economies of scale, you're paying for cost advantages, um, and you're paying really to to make things as easy as possible. <clears throat> I think that the the biggest problem with investing for young people is discipline and just doing it. So anything you can do to make yourself do it, do it. So <clears throat> I think the the difficulty is um, when you have any kind of barriers in your way.
0: Hello? <coughs> oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry, you're yeah, bus- sorry, I didn't know you were about to die. <laughs> Thank you.
1: You cool? Yeah, I'm good. I'm alive. Okay, cool. Sorry, go, go forth. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, the, the, that's the, the biggest thing is young people need to invest for the future because they're going to be working for a long time. They've got an uncertain horizon and they've got goals, right? So we need to invest, but the problem we have is that it's really easy not to invest because it's so easy to just go out and spend money. There's so many distractions out there. And the more discipline that you can put into your own life and the easier you can make it for you to make those investments regularly, the better. So if you can just say to yourself every single month, on one particular day, I'm going to invest a hundred pounds. Yeah, And the, that's the beauty of these online platforms. They will give you that. They'll give you that kind of discipline. But I think when you start sitting back and going, I want to buy Nike today, or I want to buy um, Facebook, or I'm not sure what I'm going to do, or maybe they look a bit expensive. I'll just wait around a little bit. Before you know it, you've kind of had three or four months where you've not invested. And yep. The key thing, the key thing is that compound interest. That compound interest is what's going to drive everything, and it's magical because uh, that's why over, if you get seven percent a year over ten years, you double your money. So it's like that's the key bit. Just do it, um, as Nike would say.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <for> real talk. <laughs> real talk. That was a good one, still. I like that. Um, okay. <laughs> cool. So in terms of where you could potentially get involved, I should know. I should know. Before that, what? Um, I what I, I ask you offline, um, and I hope you remember. <laughs> what are the what are the, some of the top performing funds?
1: Yeah, so in terms of top performers, um, anything involved in technology in the US has generally outperformed over the past nine years. So, and particularly the past five years. So, in terms of markets, you're looking at things like the Nasdaq. Um, over the past what yet i mean i think it's kind of interesting if you look at this year most markets are down right the yeah. uk market's down china markets down india is a little bit up um a lot of other markets are, have gone down europe down a bit so actually the only market that's really gone up is the us and actually if you took away technology the us would also be down this year so yeah basically the entire market has been driven by technology this year. And um, that has to a lesser extent been the whole story over the past sort of five years. So um, technology funds are generally the ones that are outperforming and have outperformed. Um, but again, you, the, the question you ask is do you put all your eggs in the technology basket or do you do something a little bit more diversified? And um, Generally, the whole buying the whole market has been a very successful strategy over the years.
0: So the S and P five hundred. Yeah, which is what I do as well. All right, cool. So yeah. I was gonna say where where they can get involved, but I might as well link that towards the end as we talk about as we talk briefly about um, stocks and shares ISA and then answer some questions. Okay, cool. Sure. So, what is a stocks and shares ISA and how is it different from a cash ISA? Essentially, well, ISA, as you guys know, individual savings account. That enab- With the difference between a stocks and shares one and a traditional cash ISR is that the stocks and shares ones actually allow you to determine how your money is invested. So instead of just having money in your ISR and it's earning whatever percentage rate it might be, these days it's like 0.0001, whatever. <laughs> Exaggeration, but you know what I mean? <laughs> you could um actually, okay, cool. I want to put money in these funds or in these shares. It enables you to um participate in a stock market and also have certain cash, um, certain tax benefit, which I'll explain in a bit. But anything you would like to add to that, um, produce?
1: Yeah, that's the thing. So just think about tax. The most simple way to describe it is, it's a wrapper that protects you from tax. Um, so, stock when you buy or sell any share, um, you pay capital gains tax, CGT. Yeah, so that is a certain percentage every year that you will pay away. You have an allowance every year of gains that you can make. Also, let me just
0: just to specify, is when you you pay that percentage on the profit you make, so let's say you purchased, I don't know, Manchester United stock, I think I bought some other days, like 15, 15 okay, let's say it's 15 pounds, and then at the yeah. end of the year, it went up to, I don't know, 20 pounds. The percentage on that profit, if it goes over a certain... But, over a certain threshold is what is what um, is described as capital gains tax. But yeah, sorry. Continue. Yeah, that's
1: the cap- you you have made a you have made a a capital gain mm. and you'll pay a tax on, on that, that gain. Cap- yeah, but there's an allowance that we have, just like we have an income tax allowance. We have an allowance that we're allowed to make a certain amount of gains every year, which is eleven thousand
0: so, seven hundred.
1: Yeah, well, I think it is that exactly. I'm I'm not a financial advisor, but um I'm, I'm I do I think that's correct. So I think you you can make gains every year up to a certain amount without paying any tax. Um, the second tax that you'll pay if you're invested in the stock market is on dividends. Yep. So um, you, there is a, a taxation on dividends. There's an allowance that you have that um, you can, so say a company pays a, a 5% dividend every year and you've invested for the sake of argument, 10,000 pounds into that. Yep. you will receive a dividend during that year and potentially tax will be
0: taken from that. Um, I, th- I think the dividends allowance is like £2,000. So, uh, yeah, so it doesn't up- all, if you're
1: investing smaller amounts, these taxes aren't really going to hit you that hard but as we talked about, the, as it all builds up, these taxes start biting. So ISAs no tax is payable within the ISA essentially. There are very, very small minor taxes that are paid in an ISA, but you don't really notice them. Um, so really in terms of buying and selling a stock in an ISA, um, there the, the really is essentially no tax. So a good example would, on this would be if you'd have bought something like uh, Amazon shares and you put them in your ISA, Um, and it's up however many thousand percent and you sold those shares 15 years later you would you'd pay no tax on that at all but think about what that would cost you if you didn't have an ice around it it would be a very expensive
0: sale definitely and it also and it also depends on your on how much tax you pay so if you're a basic taxpayer Anything above that threshold, you get taxed at 7.5%. But if you are an additional tax rate, payer, <laughs> anything above that, you, you get charged 38.1%, which is whopping. So having your stocks and shares ISA and investing through that actually protects you from getting a lot of tax eaten out of you if you're making very, very big gains. So that's one of the that's a very good benefit of a Stocks and Shares ISA and how it differs from your... Yeah. benefit, yeah. Yeah. So in terms of where you can get involved, there's actually a variety of pa- platforms you can, and from banks to actually online platforms. For example, I'm with Barclays, one of my accounts is Barclays. They have a Stocks and Shares ISA. Um, also, you could do it online with places like, is it Nutmeg or Moneybox, one of those places. So there's all different types of platforms. So... There's Nutmeg, there's Wealthify, there's Vanguard, there's Interactive Investors, Harkis Lansdowne, Charles Stanley, IGS. These are places you've probably seen them pass in and they all have different types of charges. So I wanted to quickly run through the charges before, and then I'll leave um, Patrice to add some comments or we'll answer some questions. So Interactive Investor, you have. I always I just want to give you these some of these um, companies so you know roughly how much you might need to get to get them um, get involved. So interactive investor, they have a minimum deposit of hundred quid. So just to start up, you need a at least at least a, lease, a lease bill. Fund dealing is six to ten pounds. So every time you make a purchase, you I think initially you you get charged ten pound, but after a while it goes down to six. You have you pay twenty two pound fifty every quarter. So every um every three months, as a kind of a fee, but that is actually put into um your basket as credit to actually buy stuff. So it's all right. So if you're buying shares and stuff, it comes out of your quarterly fee. And they have access to 3,850 funds. So loads and loads of funds for do your research. Vanguard's a bit different. Their minimum deposit is £500 or you do £100 a month. So it's either a lump sum of, of five bills or an indiv- individual sorry, a monthly contribution of £100. They have There's no charges on if you want to buy buy funds there, no charges, but it's only like their funds, so there's only 71, which might be better for you, so you have a truncated list, you might not just get, see me, I'm somebody who gets overwhelmed, like I'll go on ASOS or Selfridges, and I see so many stuff, I'm like, oh, there's too much stuff to look at, and I'll just close the tab, so that might be, so for people like me, that might be a bit more beneficial, oh yeah, and annual, an annual charge of 0.15%, and I'll give you two more, uh, for five. They're, they are like a, an online app you can download as well. Their minimum deposit is very good. It's a pound. So all of you at least have a pound. If you don't have a pound, you can ask your mum for a pound. It's not that deep. You could, you could start off with something as little as a pound. The terms of charges, the fund manager fees is 0.18% on average a year. Um, there's an annual charge of 0.7 to 0.4, depending on how much money you have. So the more money you have with them, the charges goes down obviously and there's no fee for the first year which is alright and finally Nutmeg you might see Nutmeg on the tube you might have heard of it their minimum deposit is a bit more steep 500 pounds so you have to have 500 pounds to open up an account and then there's a 100 pound monthly contribution um the fund manager fees is 0.2% and annual charge is 0.5% down to 0.35% depending on how much money you have in so these are some of the platforms. I'm going to put links to all of them if I remember. And if I don't remember, I'll cuss me out and I'll do it. And I want to write on this as well. And I'm going to... I'm sorry, the more podcasts I do, it will have more people who've actually use these platforms to give you more information. Um, anything else you'd like to add on that, Patrice? Uh, no, but like, yeah, just
1: you've listed a lot of costs, right? So mm. we went... At the beginning, we were talking about how the biggest like barrier to you making money is cost. Mm. So... Yeah. The, generally, the, the the some of these big platforms with low fees um, and a relatively simple list of things that you can invest in, I think are the other way forward rather yeah. than some of the ones which are uh, slightly more expensive and give you more choice. You don't necessarily want that much choice because, yeah, like I, like I say, it's kind of you, the market is the market and it will do what it does. Um, and the key is just that you want to be investing
0: every month. Yeah, that's that's the thing. So don't even worry. Hey, me and Pachis will be open for questions, So come and hit us up for a question. Um, before we go into the listeners' questions, um, in terms of pros and cons of a um, stocks and shares ISA. What do you what do you think, Patrice?
1: I think on the, the the pros, it's definitely the tax thing. Um, yes, tax 100%. efficient. Yeah, I think the going back to discipline. I think if you're putting some because within an ISA. If I put £100 into an ISA today, tomorrow, if I decide to take that £100 out, I can't put that £100 back in the next day. So mm. you can only put a certain amount into an ISA every year. So the advantage of that structure, I think, is it means that you're going to invest for the longer term because mm. you see it in your head as being longer term money, which I think is a good thing. Um, the negatives are kind of. I don't see big negatives in putting your money in an ISA because you're just saving tax. Um, I guess, technically speaking, there are rules and regulations governing ISAs. So you can't invest in certain assets and certain types of fund. So if you're looking to go 10 times leveraged Bitcoin and with a bit more whatever the latest sort of fashionable um, cryptocurrency is, you're not going to be able to do that through your ISA, but that's a good thing too. So there you go.
0: Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I, I agree agree. I don't see that much um, cons to it because you're getting, as you say, you get you get higher returns than your ISA. It's more tax efficient. You can diversify. You could choose what you want to invest in. The only real L is that okay, cool. What you the markets are a bit volatile. You might take an L here and there, but really and truly, over a period of time, as we as we've explained quite quite on numerous occasions, you're likely are. You're likely to see a return, and also, and also, um, the charge and annual fees depending on where you go. They could be quite minimal, and then it, when you look at your gains, you're making you're making a nice little profit. So that's definitely something that I would suggest um, the listeners to look into, read, read more, inf- look, at more information, and get involved in because that's something I've I haven't really looked at my stocks and shares. I that much um, in recent. I actually need to look at it. But it's something that I'll definitely encourage us. Just really, truly, if you're just doing savings account, inflation's gonna eat away your earnings. So you really want to start getting involved in funds and cash, stocks and shares, ices. Anything else you like to add? No, hundred percent.
1: Just yeah, just get investing and take advantage of compound interest. Yeah. Uh, it's going to, it's going to go being really simple about it. It's going to go up and down. It's going to have good times and bad times. But if you're invested for the long term, um, historically it's been a very, very good thing to do. Um, the, what not to do with it. If I'm going to just be, be honest, don't buy, don't use it as some kind of very short termist, Yeah, um, get rich quick type of investment. So don't buy Nike shares today and then think, are in a couple of months time the uh, these are going to be uh, i'm going to just sell them because they've gone up a bit because that's really not the reason to invest in stuff like that because you you want you want to buy nike shares because over the next 10 years you think they're going to be smashing all their competition and mm. delivering you amazing returns don't think of it like a trading thing think of it like in like long-term investing
0: yeah i agree i agree with that as well okay cool let me find some let me find some questions actually they were in all types of places um okay when i saved. okay where is this question thing on instagram okay cool so let me ask what to look for in the stocks and shares isa and what would you deem a too high cost slash charge
1: on cost uh okay so I would avoid anything on cost that was charging you when you're going into it. So anything with an entry fee or exit fee, I would avoid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that's going to that's going to eat up what your returns are. Um, And I think in terms of like, to be honest, for young people investing for the first time and small amounts, you really don't want the overall charges to be going a lot more than 1% all in every year. So, and that's everything, honestly. So, cause as soon as you go a lot more beyond that, you're again, eating away at your returns. So um, cheap as possible uh, and
0: indexes are probably the way forward. Okay, thank you very much. Um, so I hope that answered your question. Uh, another way for banks to make money off the consumer. Well, their are company. They're trying to make money. That's why they exist. Um, I, I'm going to ignore that. Um, can you invest in these things using brokers such as Trading 212 and Plus 500?
1: Yeah, so those, I don't know a huge amount about those. I think they're more kind of um, spread betting, contracts for difference, that mm. type of thing. So, yeah, that inherently is a riskier way of taking exposure to things because you have uh, you kind of have a, a leverage element to that which makes it different, um, and it can be quite, yeah. I don't think the very first investments that you should make as an individual trying to save for the future should be using these type of brokers. Um, yeah, but, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> do you know
1: what I mean? Like they're, they're interesting, but they're for something quite different. I think if you're looking to be a trader, And we had that conversation about Nike or whatever. Yeah. That's the kind of platform you use for that. So that's where they kind of have an advantage because they offer a kind of cheaper way to to do that. But, yeah, they're not really for people looking to invest
0: and for the future. Okay. Um, Someone also asked me um, your views on Lysa.
1: Yeah, Lysa, that's a lifetime ISA, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't... To be honest, I don't know a huge amount about it. Um, I, I, I think um, it's it's a the the ISA rules have changed quite a lot over the past three to five years, um, and you can invest a lot more than you used to be able to. Um, and there's also an element of being able to use for like a property deposit. So there's a kind of yeah. interesting angle there. So that's potentially quite interesting um, way of. Um, accessing the property market, depending on where you live. So yeah, interesting. I'm not a financial advisor, so I would defer to someone who knew a bit more about
0: it. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say the same thing as <laughs> you. What um, about LSE Arts? Is there a set amount of money to start investing with? No, but the the key is just what
1: you can afford. So I think you need to be saving something every month um, and something meaningful every month. But yeah, like literally, I think if you inv- if you Put away a hundred pounds a month over time, you will see a different you will see that make money for you. Um, the longer you do it for, so yeah, I do, I do think there's no minimum, just get doing it.
0: Okay, cool. Hold on. Um, I'm just trying to get through these questions. Uh, Somebody sent me a tweet asking awesome to help them win a ticket to a festival. Um, can you re- can you recommend any entrant entry entry level investment books to read, or give um interest level finance books in general? To be honest,
1: uh, yeah, I'll I'll send you a couple, and maybe you could like tweet them out or something. Um, yeah,
0: definitely, we'll do that. Yeah,
1: because there's, there's quite a lot of good ones actually. Um, but I think actually there's some good internet stuff out there, which is very good for entry level. Um, And I'll post some, yeah, there's a a professor at New York university who's basically provided um, a lot of really, really good info um, for first time investors. And it's really, really good. And I'll, I'll link, I'll I'll send you a link for him. Um, And the other one, which is really good. um, Vanguard have produced some really good stuff on their website about investing basics. Um, so it's good you don't even need to go and buy a book I think there's a lot of information on the internet that will um, I'll, I'll kind of link you to the best bits but there's some really good ways just to learn um, and then I think in terms from an investment perspective when you go deeper read about the great investors I'm a ma- obviously I always talk about Warren Buffett but like read books about how he invests
0: and how he makes decisions because that'll teach you more than anything yeah I agree with that 100% okay cool so I think I think that's that's it for this week's podcast, Patrice. Thank you so much for taking time. No, oh,
1: cool, man. It's been a really pleasure to be to be on, and thanks for
0: having me. Um, uh, it's, I love your podcast. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, and thank you for covering for me in my not so alert state. So <laughs> you carry you you carry you carry this podcast still. Where can if anyone wants to like ask you questions, where can they where can they hit you up? Yeah, like an email yeah, address I've or got a,
1: a, yeah, I've got a Twitter account. Um, so that's probably the best way to contact me yeah. um, link link to it in your in your show notes
0: yeah I will I'll, I'll, definitely, I'll definitely do that thank you so those listening there'll be another one next week I think we're talking pension funds next week and I'm not sure we'll talk about the week after but make sure you share this with your friends and family simply because the more of us that know have a bit more information about investing and start to learn with each other and share with each other the more we learn as a as a community of young especially us young people not not enlo- not enough of us are investing is really bad so make sure you share this tell a friend if you're listening on soundcloud thank you please follow me on soundcloud soundcloud.com slash distronomics if you're listening to this on apple podcast please subscribe and preferably give a nice rating preferably five stars and a, and a few words, but if it's rubbish and you think it's rubbish, put a few words as well. Give me constructive criticism, but preferably not, though. But yeah, thank you for tuning in, Patrice. Thank you for joining, and until next it's week, it's been a peace. pleasure.
1: Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network.